Hey, everybody. I'm Tyler Suters with the Consumer Technology Association. We own and we produce CES, the largest, the most influential tech event on the planet. We are here today to help you get CES ready. The big show is coming up January 8th through the 11th, 2019 in Las Vegas. And today we are addressing drones. This is an emerging technology that is already changing our lives for the better. It can be the quick delivery of supplies and medicine in the wake of disaster or to remote areas. Um, They can help with better crop production and more efficient food production as well. And of course, the benefits of safer infrastructure inspection and maintenance, keeping human workers safe on the ground while drones do the tough work way, way above the ground floor. Uh, A little perspective on how popular drones are here in the U.S. CTA research forecasts drone sales of roughly 3.4 million units in 2018. That's almost 10% growth since just a year ago. And more than $1 billion in revenue just here in the U.S. So today, two perspectives on the drone sector. One from the public sector, one from the private sector. We are talking to the Federal Aviation Administration about the government's approach to realizing and, of course, bringing to life the benefits of drones within a government structure, and then a market leader on drones about the potential they hold and the challenges to getting the most out of drones and how we can reach the full potential the drones offer to improve our lives. That's all coming up on this edition of CES Tech Talk. It is an honor to have with us today the Acting Administrator of the Federal Aviation Administration, Dan Elwell. Dan, thank you for coming across the river to CTA headquarters and joining us today. Well, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. It's uh, wonderful to have someone who is not only so proficient in policy, but also a pilot yourself, uh, which is a unique perspective. Um, with that in mind, let's start with, with something of a, of a wide view here and how the FAA's policies shape drone technology moving forward. Um, I think for those who are uninitiated, they may not know exactly how much influence this policy body has. Well, the drone community uh, is incredibly fast growing, and it involves a lot, as you know, technical innovation. Um, Innovation is one of Secretary Chow's top priorities, uh, as, as it is mine, of course. And our policy philosophy is bent towards allowing innovation to thrive um, and allowing innovation to complement safety. Uh, Sometimes you hear the two uh, uh, compared as almost mutually exclusive. Um, You can't bring in new technology initially without compromising safety, and I don't think that's the case. So what we're trying to... um, uh, create is an environment where we lay out the performance we want and when we let industry innovate to get to that place. And so what I've said many times uh, to, to many of your members, and particularly to, to the drone community, is you know, we want your innovation. We want your partnership in making um, the drone space as safe as possible. Bring us your safety solutions. You know how safe we are. Um, So bring us your safety solutions. Bring us your technological advancements um, so that we can incorporate them in future uh, policy decisions and in our regulatory framework. Interesting. So building on that that bedrock of a balance of innovation and safety, 
what is your vision for the widest use of drones? Uh, the possibilities, I say, seem limitless. I don't mean that literally, but we're, we're discovering new uses and new ways that the drones can change our lives for the better, uh, you know, seemingly by the month. Well, it, it, it does seem by the month that they're um, coming up with new new applications. I, I would, I don't have a problem saying that the possibilities are endless because every time I think I've seen um, the full scope of what drones can do, mm -hmm. I'm surprised by some new application. Um, so I don't have a vision of the widest um, mm -hmm. use of drones because I really do think that uh, as soon as you try to pin in or define what drones can do, something new huh. is going is going to hit the market. Um, my uh, my vision is to create again back to the policy, back to the regulatory framework, to um, to have in place and create a regulatory framework framework that allows uh, for the widest use, mm -hmm. um, whatever mm -hmm. that may be. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so let's delve down then in, into that a little bit because whatever those future uses are of drones, um, an acronym that that we know very well in this policy community, BLOS, and we love our acronyms in Washington, D.C., but beyond line of sight is integral to so many of these applications. Um, could you delve in a bit, uh, Mr. Administrator, into what that means for drones, mm -hmm. why BLOS is so critical? So you said your your audience knows what it is. I won't, get, I won't define what, what BLOS means. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. uh, but so it is so important because um, until we have uh, the ability to approve wide scale beyond visual line of sight operations. Mm -hmm. The industry is by definition limited to um, as far as the pilot of the drone can see, right. um, which obviously is incredibly self-limiting there. So um, the, the, the unique and interesting thing about beyond visual line of sight uh, dilemma or conundrum is all of the things you have to solve, all of these problems you have to solve to get there. You have to solve um, um, loss of signal. Um, mm -hmm. What does the vehicle do? If the operator can't see it visually, what, what does the vehicle do when it loses signal with its operator? How does the operator know that um, the uh, vehicle isn't, is no longer responding to its commands? Um, how does the, the the aircraft or the vehicle separate itself from uh, collision with other uh, stakeholders or fixed objects. You know, all of these things, tra uh, traffic confliction, um, uh, following the right protocols when emergencies or um, uh, contingencies happen, these are uh, all issues that have to be solved. And of course, much of that is, um, is solved with a UAS traffic management protocol right. or some form of remote identification. So when do you envision something like that uh, coming into reality, a traffic management system for these unmanned flights? So it's hard to, to nail down when we'll have a system in place mm -hmm. because the system that we are working towards is an integrated system, not a separate system. I think if it were its own, you know, we were going we're going to have a separate uh, traffic management system for UAS and mm -hmm. a separate, distinct traffic management system for manflight. But we're not working towards that, and the industry doesn't want us to. 
Uh, and I think for the purposes of the growth of this industry and and ultimately for the safety of the national airspace system as a whole, they need to be integrated. Um, that's why we and the president has initiated the UAS integration pilot program uh, that we're about a year into. Right. Um, and the IPP, as we call it, um, is designed specifically to flesh out what we need to do and how close we are to uh, affecting some of these uh, important infrastructure entities like um, UAS traffic management or UAS integration. Mm -hmm. Small UAS, of course, at first, which is, is what we're working on. Mm -hmm. um, if we could uh, dive into the IPP just for a moment, Mr. Administrator, that is, uh, it echoes earlier federal drone programs in that using locations across the country. This isn't just a, a DC-based system. Mm -hmm. This is, this is uh, integrating in different capacities with, with the private sector in different conditions under different opportunities, correct? Yeah, the presidential directive for the IPP um, was to have uh, at least five applicants mm -hmm. <clears throat> approved that represented diversity in geography and climate in operations. Um, the only uh, thing that had to be uh, run throughout all the applications and all of the eventual um, location awardees is that the primary applicant had to be either a state, locality, or tribal government um, and a partnership with um, the drone community. Mm -hmm. uh, there were also a, a number of other criteria. There had to be um, collaboration with the local community and buy-in by the local community, including law enforcement. Uh, we gave preferential consideration to applications that dealt with um, law enforcement and, and counter UAS or applications that um, sought to experiment with traffic management uh, ideas. Um, so we had such a um, enthusiastic response to the program uh, that instead of uh, granting five, we granted 10 um, applications. And they do, uh, in my opinion, fully represent the gamut of, um, of operations. Mm -hmm. uh, and some of them are quite interesting. Um, and again, uh, things you never would have thought a drone would have been would have been a part of like um, uh, uh, Zika virus mosquito control or controlling feral hog population things like that. Um, the you know the we've said for decades you know it's the it's the, it's the dull dangerous and dirty jobs that uh, drones will do and that's certainly been uh, something. But there's also the sexy jobs like there's pack package delivery um, uh, and and. Uh, human relief jobs that only drones can do or could do better than putting uh, manned aviation in harm's way. We saw that um, uh, one application I hope will be able to mature um, faster than others is um, fire spotting, fire fighting, um, those, those kinds of applications. Mm -hmm. um, but the, the IPP has been, an, has been a tremendous success, and we're looking forward to the next two years of the program to gather even more data mm -hmm. uh, to answer some of these questions. Um, but, but sort of in parallel with the IPP, we have the UPP, which is the UAS Traffic Management Pilot Program, which we did in partnership with NASA. Mm -hmm. uh, and we will very shortly name um, the recipients of the initial uh, pilot program for those applicants for uh, UTM or UAS traffic management. Mm -hmm. So when we're talking about the, the national applications, that also brings to mind economic impact, which is a remarkably dry phrase, I know. 
However, um, a very rich report came out within the last several years about potential for job creation, economic um, um, impact, and on, on a state-by-state basis as, as, as well as nationally. Um, how important are drones to the U.S. economy? Maybe not today, but in the next decade or two decades or, or moving forward. I'm, I'm asking you to pull out the crystal ball once again, I know, Mr. Administrator, but I'm curious where you see that end of it. Well, um, the, the next decade of of the drone market and what it means to the economy and to the nation depends kind of, that question depends on uh, who you ask. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, um, folks who are excited and want to see this industry uh, grow and succeed, like myself, um, see that it's possible that this industry could have an economic impact of upwards of $82 billion <laughs> annually in the U.S., wow. $127 billion globally. Mm-hmm. Um, we're, we're talking about the possibility of 70,000 new jobs uh, uh, once in integration starts. And this is mm-hmm. this is through 2025 are the projections right now. And that's just U.S. And right? it's just so U.S. Yeah. That's just yeah. U.S. Now, um, to get there, though, we have to answer a number of issues and concerns that folks maybe – who aren't as excited about this new right. technology, um, folks worried about noise, folks worried about privacy. Um, and of course, our number one uh, priority is safety. Um, those are the things we have to address on the, at the early stages to make sure that um, as we um, allow this nascent industry to, to grow and come into the system, that we do so respectful of, of everybody's um, uh, concerns and primarily that we do it uh, safe. So you've mentioned a few times the importance of public-private engagements, uh, the government working with, with the tech industry itself. Um, CES 2019 will be a great touch point, obviously, for you to get uh, face-to-face and, and work closely and, and talk to industry. What does the FAA have planned uh, for Las Vegas in another month or so? Um, well, the worst part is I can't go this year, and I went. I had such a good time last year. It it's was, lovely uh, in January compared to DC. It, I promise. It, yeah, and it's a tremendous um, show. And my my congratulations to you and and Gary Shapiro and the entire CES family because it is it is a phenomenal show. Our team will be on site um, this year, or I guess next year, um, working to answer your questions in person and online. And we will have two booths at CES one for drones and one for PackSafe. And we had that at the last CES. Uh, It's about lithium battery storage and the proper way of of carrying them. And you can follow us live throughout CES on Twitter at FAA News and Instagram at FAA and, as always, on FAA's Facebook account. We'll answer your questions 24 hours a day, seven days a week online. And uh, new this year is uh, if you're a pilot and you're at CES, Stop by the drone booth, and if you have any questions, and we'll talk talk to you about how to apply for your remote pilot certificate. So, uh, and of course, the highlight for us, um, and I hope for you, is that uh, DOT Secretary Elaine Chow mm-hmm. will be there, and uh, she'll have, uh, as always, some really important uh, things to convey to the group. Yeah, second straight year we get to host Secretary Chow. We are very much looking forward to that. Uh, you mentioned uh, pilot registration, Mr. Administrator. Uh, I don't think we can say it enough uh, that, that whether you're a commercial or just a casual pilot, there's some very simple rules you must follow 
to mm-hmm. fly safely. Absolutely. And uh, that's one of the reasons we've pushed so hard that if you're going to be a drone pilot, be a drone pilot, an emphasis on the word pilot, because it is an aerospace vehicle. And uh, and we want to make sure that everybody who is putting a vehicle in the national airspace system knows the rules of the road. And they're not that difficult. And when you go online and you register your drone and then you subsequently get your drone pilot certificate, the things you learn um, quite uh, literally could save lives. So why wouldn't you do it? Um, you wouldn't get on the road in a car without some sort of training. Why would you put a drone in the air without uh, knowing exactly what you're doing? Dan Elwell is Acting Administrator of the FAA and Mr. Administrator, thank you for your time. And again, your enthusiasm as a former pilot certainly shows through. We appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Brandon Schulman is with DJI, a globally known innovator in the drone sector. He is vice president of policy and legal affairs there. Brandon, good to talk to you again. Great to be here. Uh, Very exciting time for the drone sector. I think I would have said the same thing at any point in time over the last four to five years, right? The innovation keeps coming. The sector keeps growing at such a rapid pace. Um, Let's just dive in. What has your attention right now? What has you especially excited? Well, I'm really excited about the ways that we're seeing drones being used, uh, not just in commercial and consumer applications, but in public safety. So for the past couple of years, we've been tracking news reports of people who've been rescued or, or their lives saved using drones like the ones that we make. And we're now nearing 200 uh, people who've been saved from peril in situations like um, flooding, uh, missing persons uh, who are who are found using a drone, uh, and, and even in some cases uh, being delivered life preservers uh, while in distress in the ocean. Mm-hmm. So really amazing to see the public safety benefits coming through uh, now that we're at this stage in the industry. You know, that brings up a great point, Brendan, because drones are one of these innovative technologies, this disruptive technology that can be a- applied to real-life situations and provide solutions so quickly um, and immediately. Um, and I think of you know, uh, you share the numbers of lives saved. I think it's probably impossible to talk about the number of lives affected for the better um, after a disaster, whether that's uh, hurricane or earthquake or, or, or avalanche, whatever, what have you, when um, traditional means of getting supplies or medical needs or even food to these isolated areas is impossible because roads are impassable, yet drones are doing that job already. Yes, and we, we have a really recent example of that. Although it's not delivery, it, it's in the world of information. So uh, immediately after the campfire in the Paradise, California area, uh, we had a, a group of people go out and use drones to very quickly map a huge uh, portion of the impacted properties there to determine um, where to look for people who might still be there, um, what the extent of the damage is, support on filing insurance claims. Uh, They were able to turn around a huge volume of data, put it up under the uh, Sheriff's Department website uh, as an interactive resource, including a map, uh, panorama 360-degree imagery, and videos so that people who were not permitted uh, to go back yet and check on their homes 
could actually see within a matter of days the state of their property. So we're seeing uh, drones being used in, a, in emergency response and in d- disaster recovery. Yeah, uh, remarkable that you could do something that logistically challenging so quickly and, and deliver those results. Um, you know, a, a less publicly facing series of benefits, I think, comes in the industrial and commercial sectors, right, across across energy, across transportation, um, agriculture as well. Um, would you dive a little bit into those, Brendan, in terms of the benefits that, that, that you're seeing um, that this technology is able to engender across so many different different sectors that maybe aren't traditional technology sectors? Yeah, there, there, and I think there are two benefits to that, and they're really significant, both safety and efficiency. Mm-hmm. So any way in which you can position a sensor, usually a camera, in three dimensions is a useful tool. And, and that, for example, in, in the roofing industry, if you can get up there and uh, do an inspection of a roof, whether it's storm damage or just general maintenance, and do it in minutes without even climbing on the roof because you're able to position a drone camera in three dimensions, take high-resolution imagery, uh, or in some cases do a thermal scan to see whether there's a heat loss coming out of the, um, out of the roof. Uh, you're then able to better assess um, the condition of the roof, uh, the volume of materials you might need to uh, repair or replace it by taking measurements, and, and do much more in that period of time. And you haven't gone on the roof um, to do it. Uh, so whether it's a roof structure or power lines, um, we had a, um, a story come to us recently of a power company that uh, was using a drone to restring power lines across a valley after one of the hurricanes last, uh, last year. Um, so a, a really powerful and efficient way of doing something that would have taken a lot more time and would have put those workers at greater peril. So really can't count uh, those benefits, but just the way in which drones are being used. And just to give another really unusual example, really one of my favorites, there's a research institution that's using drones to collect whale snot. Uh, so to literally uh, fly a drone right behind and above a whale to collect the spray that emerges when the, when the whale um, blows its uh, spout. And that allows the researchers to uh, understand the gender of the whale, whether it's pregnant, whether it's healthy, migratory patterns, and really, you know, save the whales in a way that could never be done before because you could never collect that kind of sample with a boat, and you certainly wouldn't want to fly a full-scale helicopter that close to an endangered animal. Mm-hmm. So really innovative applications are, are just starting to emerge. Yeah, in unrelated news, hashtag whale snot is now trending where we're getting word. Uh, <laughs> um, I love it. Yeah. As far as the technology, Brendan, let's talk about those innovations specifically, how, how drones themselves are becoming, uh, well, what comes comes to mind most quickly is becoming more capable uh, of doing more things. Um, what's at the forefront there for you and for DJI? So one of the latest uh, innovations we've done is to release the Mavic 2 Enterprise drone. That's where we took we took our Mavic uh, platform, which has been out for a couple of years now, and upgraded it in a way to add capabilities that we did not have before. So you can attach a loudspeaker to the Mavic 2 Enterprise. And what that allows people to do, particularly public safety officials, is to communicate at a, at a long distance verbally. So in, in the case of a, of a rescue situation, you can provide instructions to somebody that you otherwise would have no 
ability to communicate with. Mm. Uh, we also uh, have an attachment for that drone that's a spotlight for operations at night to illuminate uh, a dark area, and that can help with uh, everything from emergency response to facility inspection to uh, nighttime photography and cinematography. So um, that that particular off-the-shelf drone is uh, is a good example of how additional features are being added to enable complex operations. We also, in the past year, have added a payload SDK, so a software development kit that allows other companies to integrate their sensors, whether it's LIDAR or photography, or, or um, in one example, someone who had a um, an air monitoring device able to send a sensor up into the atmosphere uh, and sample the air for air quality, which is extremely important, particularly in a, in a wildfire situation. Mm-hmm, right. uh, to do that on a drone and to integrate that sensor input into the drone system and provide live information to the ground is really powerful. So we're seeing the integration of more sensors and tools to enable those applications. Mm -hmm. So there's a flip side to this, right, in terms of getting innovation into the public sector so quickly, and that is the need to balance innovation with safety. Uh, You are in the public policy and regulatory sector 24-7, I know, Brendan. What are you seeing globally in terms of the evolution of, of how, let's start at the grand scale, countries are balancing that, the needs for safety and the needs to, to innovate, and each country's in a race to some degree. Safety is absolutely essential, and we, we've made it a company priority, uh, stretching back years with all kinds of safety features in the drones, everything from geofencing uh, to automatic return to home in the event of a, of a radio signal loss or a battery condition, uh, obstacle avoidance, and, and um, the list goes on. Uh, we work hand-in-hand with government regulators around the world to try to figure out the policy solutions to safety and security and privacy concerns. These are all top of mind for me and and the others that I work with in the industry. And and we see good solutions coming out. So one of the the key ones, uh, both in the United States and around the world, is is a call for a remote identification capability, namely the ability for people to know who's flying uh, the drone and whether they're authorized to be uh, where they're flying. Uh, and that's something that we support. We've actually um, kind of led the way in terms of policy and technology development. And it makes a lot of sense. Uh, just like a license plate on your car helps the authorities identify who you are in the event of, uh, of an issue. Similarly, drones, uh, to the extent they raise concerns, should also have an identification mechanism that is implemented in a way that is um, low cost and fair and, and makes sense uh, for the technology. So we're glad to see efforts around the world uh, to address those. And we think they're, they're really a combination of smart public policy and technology solutions that work hand in hand. Mm-hmm. Um, so our uh, internal research here at CTA tracks the U.S. tech sector sales and forecasts twice a year. And with each sector, you know, the, the expected growth for the drones sector in, in, in terms of purchasing here in the U.S. for consumer buys um, is escalating, right? Higher and higher on an annual basis. Um, is there a particular area of that where you're seeing growth? Is it, a, uh, con- is it consumers as enthusiasts? Is it consumers as commercial operators? Uh, do you break that down at all? Do you have a feel even um, for, for where that growth is coming primarily or a sector that surprises you perhaps? I'm not surprised to see the growth. I, I, this is something I've long anticipated, that once the capabilities were better known, everyone would figure out 
a way to put a drone to good use, whether it's for fun or public safety or commercial or even the whale research that we talked about. Um, so I think we're, you know, in, in the past two years, we've seen a ramp up in the commercial and enterprise applications. And that's really thanks to the FAA's implementation of a regulatory framework that supports it. Right, so, you know, right. a couple of years ago, you, you, you weren't supposed to fly commercially. Uh, now, now you can, and the barrier to entry is really low. You just take a multiple choice uh, test that like 91% of people pass on the first time, and then you can go and turn your, your drone enthusiasm into a business. So I think we, we see that, that crossover taking place of people getting into the technology as consumers uh, for fun or, or to do artistic endeavors, and then realizing, hey, this is a really useful tool in a more commercial setting in my business, maybe I'm a real estate agent, uh, maybe I'm uh, a person who does facility inspection, and, and that's where I think a lot of the future growth is going to be. Mm-hmm. So one proof point that, that I've seen, Brendan, regarding consumer and professional enthusiasm for the drone sector is how we see just the, the foot traffic at CES uh, in the drone section, right? More and more people making a point of going there during the show to see the latest uh, innovations. Um, DJI is a veteran of CES. Uh, what are your strategies and your game plan going into CES 2019? Well, we really love being there. It's, it's, it's so exciting. And to see the drone space grow each year has been tremendous to, on, a, on a personal level as someone who's been a, a drone enthusiast for many, many years. Uh, I, I think we want to make sure people have a chance to see and experience the technology. Um, that's why we have a, a flying cage there. Um, o- over the years, we've had an actual hands-on flight experience. Um, so there actually uh, are two booths, one of which uh, is, a, is a hands-on booth. Uh, so really want to try to bring that technology uh, to all the attendees uh, who are always very enthusiastic. The, the crowd around our, our booth every year is always very uh, thick and uh, active. And we're also happy to have the FA there, uh, usually right across the, the aisle from us, so people can have their regulatory questions answered as well to make sure everyone is operating safely and enjoying the technology. All right. Brendan Schulman is Vice President of Policy and Legal Affairs at DJI. An exciting time to be in the drone sector, no question about it. Brendan, great to talk to you again, my friend. Thank you. All right. Coming up next time on CES Tech Talk, virtual reality, VR. Uh, The killer app may still be to be determined, but there are some pretty amazing benefits that are on the way, including not just courtside seats to your favorite teams, but courtside seats perhaps for everyone who wants to attend even a single game. All those problems will go away if you have a virtual seat on the stage using a VR where thousands of people could double, quadruple book and have a vantage point where not even the best seat at that concert could give you. All right, that's coming up next time on CES Tech Talk. We are here to get you CES ready, and now a major step to prepping yourself for the show. Download the CES app. You can build your personal agenda. You can sketch out your favorite exhibitors and speakers and sync in real time across your devices. And new this year, You can connect your LinkedIn account, and that way you can see who, among your other LinkedIn connections, is also at CES. A great way to harness and leverage all that synergy that's created around the show. All right, CES 2019, January 8th through the 11th, 
in Las Vegas. More info, of course, is at ces.tech. A reminder, none of this is possible without the true stars of this podcast series. Our engineer, John Lindsay, and our producer, Tina Anthony. You all are the best in the business. I'm Tyler Suters. We're glad you're with us. Let's talk tech again soon.